I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Weinke, Lions beat writer for MLive. Joined as always by the very tall, very, very hairy Ben Raven. Ben, how are we doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm actually a little trimmed up. You know, it's hot this week. We got a big road trip. I kind of want to look good, but yeah, we're doing all right. We're close to real football, man, and hit the refresh after camp. It's so close. Well, we got an injury report today, so that's that's something new. That, that always <laughs> football is not far away. It's it's September four while we're recording this. Um, just walked off the practice field a bit ago. Uh, full full slate out there, Ben. Um, full team out there. All 53 players were on the field. Um, only Emmanuel Mosley was even limited. Uh, this team has its, its full arsenal of of players at its disposal going into the season opener on Thursday night against Kansas City. We all know, I think it goes up introduction at this point. I mean, that, that, that this season is so anticipated for Detroit for all the reasons we've talked about for the last, oh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine months. <laughs> um, but then obviously the openers, while well, people have had this circled in red um, ever since the schedule came out, Lions, Chiefs, you know, the, the, this upstart team against the Super Bowl champs at Arrowhead. And based on everything we've heard this week, Ben, that is a hellacious home venue for um, for Kansas City uh, in prime time for a season opener. They're coming off a Super Bowl win. Um, I mean, I, I am expecting my feet to be bouncing in the in the press box. Oh, I know, and I, I think it was Mark Brunel today who said he told Brian Branch, "This I know it's your first NFL game, but this will be the loudest game you've ever played in, and it'll probably be the loudest game you'll ever play in." So, I mean, just across the board like hostile environment like it's gonna be loud there's gonna be loud and then there's gonna be chiefs get their super bowl rings and raise a banner loud as they host the detroit lions for the first time in 20 years at arrowhead stadium we got a, a mailbag on tap and um I, I'm, I'm pleased to announce I, I think i'm pleased to announce that the podcast is changing this year from once weekly during the regular season to twice weekly during the regular season obviously the format is a little bit different this week with the Thursday night game, but most weeks you're going to have a mailbag episode around Tuesday, maybe sometimes Wednesday, depending on production. Um, and then a regular podcast later in the week as, uh, as we usually do with player reviews and interviews with pe- people around the team and whatnot, uh, it being Monday. Uh, but you know, it's just, it's a, it's a weird week with the Thursday night game. Got a mailbag on tap today. Before, before we dive in, Ben, I'm, just curious, you know, we've, we've been cranking out season preview content. We've had a chance to really chew over this opener, and everyone's so excited. But I think in the excitement, people are sometimes forgetting it is the Kansas City Chiefs. It is Patrick Mahomes. It is a Lions defense that's undergone a significant makeover, particularly in the back end, a back end that has no learning curve now with Patrick Mahomes' Um on deck 
what are your thoughts going to this game then? Yeah, what are the Lions' chances? I mean, I I, I don't think they're going to get blown out. I don't think they're going to get embarrassed. But I do think that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to get them. I mean, my main takeaway from the last umpteen weeks ahead of this game is that Patrick Mahomes is somehow underrated. Like, this guy... This guy's in another stratosphere compared to other quarterbacks. What he's been able to do, what he's continued to add to his game, there's nobody like him. I really don't like and care to wait with that kind of stuff, but Patrick Mahomes is on another level of his own. And I mean, Manuel Mosley, we'll see if he's out there, but like it's going to be Jerry Jacobs. And if something happens to one of those guys, it's going to be a UDFA. So all that depth, it's there. It's there. And I believe in it, but it's just like you are one one injury you're one injury away every week but just like you cannot lose a piece against these guys and it's just like like you said i mean the the communication in the new look db room cam sutton's gonna have to lead that group and those back end loud safeties are gonna have to be screaming everything they see with that travis kelsey guy i mean it's it's don't fall behind early because you're gonna have a hard time keeping up yeah i think it's a tough challenge man i think i'd like the lions chances a lot more if this game were later in the year Mm -hmm. but you've got a week one you know, there's like 30, 40 percent of the looks like that that you've even um that, that you've never seen before that teams usually roll out week one. Um it's the best offensive mind, maybe in the game. And Andy Reid, the best quarterback for sure, and Patrick Mahomes. Um, I just think it's a really tough challenge for a Lions team that again is breaking in so many new pieces. And let's let's be honest, like the defense has been so much better in camp. I like they were better down the stretch last year, Ben, and then they reloaded at every position. Um, they're fully healthy in the pass rush. In Hutchinson looks like a different player right now than he was 12 months ago. I think he's poised for a, a bigger year um in the pass rush and getting after the quarterback obviously is is instrumental in any game, in particular a game like this against Mahomes, making him, if you can, sweat a little bit, make him a little uncomfortable. Um, but you do, I mean, you have a rookie in Brian Branch in the slot and listen, the kid's been phenomenal, but this is his NFL debut and he's going to be doing it. And maybe <laughs> the most insane venue that we have in the NFL. And you've got Cam Sutton make his lion's debut. You have CJ Garner Johnson making his lion's debut. I mean, like there's so many new pieces out there. And I, I think having some breakdowns and whatnot happening with, with the kids out there or breakdowns that are exploited by what Kansas city can just do on its own. I think, are inevitable. And I think really in this game, Ben, if the Lions are to have a chance, they they really need to be able to generate some takeaways because I don't think stopping Patrick Mahomes enough times to win this game is really in the cards. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I think to win this game, they'll have to generate some, some takeaways that, you know, flip field position or kill scoring opportunities because without them, I just think Kansas City is going to be too good against that defense. No, and I think you're exactly right. And kind of getting my game preview stuff ready for this week and stuff I was looking back at that golf Mahomes Monday night game in 2018 and I mean the Rams won that game 54-51 and Patrick Mahomes turned the ball over five times that day so it's just <laughs> like what just like that's unbelievable like <laughs> the uh so it's absolutely I mean Aiden the pass rush you're gonna have to try and force a fumble on him you're gonna have to need some luck on those tipped balls into the air if you can get it I mean Kirby and CJ Gardner Johnson we've 
talked about that ball hawking safety duo for weeks now and how great it's looked and how great it's been. Well, they're going to need to be on their absolute best this week. I mean, it's such a tough challenge because you have to worry about Travis Kelsey. And then the Chiefs, they don't have the Tyreek Hill, the known names at wide receiver, but every wide receiver they have is like a game-breaking track star who moves like a joystick. So, I mean, the safeties, Brian Branch, I mean, Brian Branch starting game one at Arrowhead, with his main assignment probably being figuring out where Kelsey is more times than not, that is, we're going to find out. We're going to find out real quick. I mean, he's been impressive. He deserves all the roses and praise he's got, but like it ain't the preseason and that's not your teammate anymore. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's good to be talking about football again, and I'm talking about real football, not, you know, whatever Lions-Panthers was (laughs) a couple weeks ago. We're both going to be down there, Ben, you and I, in Kansas City for this opener, so we'll have lots of coverage over at MLive. We'll have podcasts coming out of the game, all kinds of of juicy stuff. Uh, Until then, Ben, let's roll into this mailbag. Lots of good questions this week, and most coming in through our Insider Text program. Uh, people can find out about that by clicking at any Lion story. Um, there's a free promotion in there. Get a couple weeks of a free text from Ben and I if, if, if you really want that. <laughs> insider, insider Text, I like to do it from the practice field on what we're seeing or inside the locker room. Just trying to give people a bit bigger snapshot into the team. Uh, it's also a great way to do the mailbag and um, really enjoying some of the conversations we're having over there with folks. Uh, so with that, Ben, let's roll. Uh, Mick asks, I'm starting to see Jameer Gibbs get some love for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Do you really think he has a chance in an offense this deep? What are your thoughts on Jameer Gibbs for Offensive Rookie of the Year? It's going to be tough with so many rookie quarterbacks starting across the league, and that's that's the main gripe right there. Like Gibbs is going to get some carries, and Gibbs is going to get a ton, a ton of meaty looks in that passing attack just based on what we've seen him lining all over the field. But like – C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, this is a quarterback league, and those guys look like future freaks at the position. I mean, he's going to have to ball out, and yeah, it's going to be tough with those quarterbacks in front of him. I'm not saying he can't win it with a big year, but it's just this is a quarterback league, and one of those rookie quarterbacks pops off, it's going to be going that direction. Yeah, maybe one does. I I like what I see from Bryce Young, but like you just don't ever, ever know what you get from a – any quarterback in the draft it is such a crapshoot, you know, even at the top of the draft, even the top five. I I, I did the math once uh, going into one of the drafts for the Lions were considering quarterbacks, and it was like a 50-50 rate of, of a guy panning out even the top five of the draft at, at quarterback. You, you just, I mean, every once in a while you have a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck, yeah. but, but like really it's a crapshoot otherwise even at the top. So, I, I mean, I don't know if Bryce Young is going to be great, Anthony Richardson – one of them probably will be like a very good quarterback. One probably will not, just based on the you know the track record uh, of quarterbacks. Um, but even as as rookies, Ben, I know it, the things are changing a little bit. You see a lot more rookie quarterbacks playing early in their careers. Um, but like the success rate of those guys is just not that high. I agree with you. If a guy pops off a quarterback, then it's going to be hard for Gibbs to catch him. But um, 
you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. And a lot of times these awards are given to players on good teams. And again, if you're a rookie quarterback, a top five quarterback, like a Richardson or a, or a Bryce Young, you're not playing for a very good team. So um, who knows on that front, but on the Jameer Gibbs front, Ben, you know, it's, it's, it's a guy that we've seen over the last month, every day, he looks capable to me. And yeah. especially with Debo not on the field, he's going to be their number one home run threat. And that might mean as a rusher, I, I mean, they're of course going to try. Uh, you're going to see a lot of him and, and David Montgomery out there, but yeah, Jameer Gibbs as well. But what really makes him unique is what he can do in space what he can do as a pass catcher. I mean, I'm not just talking like good hands. I'm talking the way he runs a route is like like a proper receiver. And so I, I think um, he's going to have two different ways to produce and not just the one and uh, a little bit of a positionless kind of guy. I mean, I, I think like Amon Ross St. Brown, how they've used him in the past as a rusher, as a guy in motion, short passes, long passes, whatever, but even more positionless because Amon Ross almost always a receiver. I think you're going to see Jameer Gibbs all over that damn field um and that's going to give him a chance i think i mean i think him going over a thousand yards from scrimmage is completely within reason um you know at some point in his future once he gets settled and more experience you know year two year three i wouldn't put it past him to be a thousand thousand guy no absolutely not because i mean if you told me 17 weeks from now that he's got 65 plus catches in this offense i'm not that surprised because like you said he's not just catching the ball this wheel route he's a killer on those wheel routes i mean this is we're gonna be posting about jameer gibbs dots those next gen stop <laughs> dots multiple times this year because his his slipperiness his explosiveness it's so real but like brock purdy started five games last year and finished third in offensive rookie of the year voting so it's like it's just like it's yep. such a it's just it's a quarterback league but he, he's got a chance if he catches 50 plus balls and runs for 500 plus yards he's going to be in that mix and i mean like you said he's going to be that home run threat i think for six games of the season for sure by the way I, I did look it up i looked up the number of lions players uh who have won offensive rookie of the year do you know how many have done it i'm actually in the dark on this one is it zero it is more than zero. Okay. <laughs> it is four. You've heard of uh, a couple of them. Barry Sanders, maybe, <laughs> in 1989. Offensive right. <laughs> Rookie of the Year. Before that, Billy Sims in 1980. Uh, um, yeah. So those are the two modern guys, and, and they make a lot of sense. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. The Lions actually had the first two winners of the award, of winners of the award as well. Uh, Earl McCullough in 1968, Mel Farr in 1967. So that would be a pretty illustrious company um, if um, Jim Ray Gibbs was able to do it. It's been 30-something years since anyone has. I should have been able to guess Billy Sims alone. Superstar Mel Farr, always a nice yeah. shout-out. <laughs> yeah, solid reference. Okay, rolling on, uh, and, I, and forgive me if I screw up the last name here, but Christian Andresen, um, he says, uh, hi, Kyle and Ben. I'm super excited to see Jameer Gibbs in action, and I'm ex expecting good things. I feel like David Montgomery is being overlooked some and can really do some nice things in our offense. Are people just overlooking Montgomery just because he's been part of a terrible Bears offense during his time in the NFL? What do you think his ceiling is as a rusher and a receiver? Man. Uh, yeah, speaking of the right guy in this one, I've got David Montgomery as my breakout offensive candidate to watch this year. I've I've been every fantasy show that'll have me. I'm saying this guy's going too low. Like he's going to eat behind this offensive line, and he's going to be a part of that passing attack because they're they look like they're going to use Gibbs and Montgomery at the same time this year, and that's a massive shift in their offense. And Monty's up to the task. I mean, he's not just going to get the 
token target in the flats. Like this guy can actually make a difference in the passing attack. And I mean, he's been a very good running back who's never run for less than 800 yards in four seasons behind some JV NFL offensive lines in Chicago. No matter who's starting at right guard, this group's going to be one of the best in the league. This guy, this guy's going to eat. He's got elusiveness. This offense produced a ton of rushing touchdowns last year, and he's going to be that short yardage guy. I mean, they're going to share looks, but I'm I'm big on Monty in this offense. It's it's a great fit for how they want to run the ball. Yeah, and I think the big piece to this puzzle, Ben, is the fact they have basically six starting offensive linemen and. You know, they, they were playing with four last year and they had the best rushing season in, in Detroit since the Barry years. Uh, Jared Goff was one off his, his career best for sacks. I mean, that offensive line did work last year, despite not having Vitae out there the entire year. Um, and now you got Vitae back. You got Graham Glasgow, who was signed basically as the injury insurance for Vitae, but Vitae's healthy. So you have all six guys up there. And Frank Ragnow uh, it was, is a full goal right now, too, going into the season, um, despite the toe injury that he's been been nursing. So you have a really, really powerful offensive line. You have a head coach that wants to pound teams on the ground. And listen, he's, he's you know, Dan Campbell's not a three yards and a cloud of dust kind of guy. Like, they're going to air it out. You saw what they did last year. But he wants the identity to be on the ground. And and he wants to win games on the ground, control games on the ground. And when they, those situations present themselves to, you know, they have a lead, they're nursing, whatever. They want to be able to grind down the clock on the ground. They have that mentality baked into them. And then you have a play caller in Ben Johnson who, if you look at the the, the running game from last year, it wasn't just – I don't know, like a bunch of individual performances. Like that thing was so cohesive in the blocking schemes, the way they ran the ball. It was almost like a marriage of all the different kind of running schemes that are out there. Um, and there was such a flow to it. And so, yeah, you take David Montgomery from <laughs> the Chicago Bears, who have been living in 1964 offensively for a few years now, and you put him into uh, an offense where the blocking is, is some of the best in the league. Um, you expect more from him as a as a rusher. And then I think the key piece in this, Ben, that, that you alluded to is that he catches the ball very well, too. And I know there was some hand-wringing about Jamal Williams and fans wanted him back. The negotiations were, you know, disrespectful, according to Jamal Williams. I, I don't know. Things broke down, obviously, between the two sides. But I think the bottom line is you ended up with a similar type of back who's two years younger, uh, who has been really, really durable, broke the most tackles in the league last year, tied for the most, I guess, last year uh, in Chicago. And now you're putting him behind an offensive line um, that that is much better. And this guy can catch the pass much, much better than Jamal Williams, which is a better fit for this offense. It gives this offense more, more dimension and versatility. So to the questioner, to you, Ben, yeah, I totally agree that, that Monty um, – th this is a good situation for him, even though he'll obviously be, be sharing the load back there. So let's get to some news eh, from this week. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> Isaiah Bugs, defensive tackle, uh, played really well for the Lions last year, uh, made the team this year, obviously. Had some cryptic tweets over the weekends. Um, it's always my favorite time of the year when I'm trying to read late night tweets of 26-year-olds uh, <laughs> on, on social media. <laughs> um, but it set off some questions about his standing, basically, with the team or what was up. Um, and we got a bunch of questions about it. Um, uh, Jared Eisenlohr asked about Isaiah Bugs. What is the issue there? 
Don't want to read too much into cryptic tweets, but it has me wondering. Brian Sherman asks, what's with Isaiah Bugs not getting it right before we kick off the season? I mean, it's, that's just a, a sample, and we got a handful of them, so it seems like there's a lot of questions out there. Um, we did catch up with Isaiah Bugs in the locker room just today, and he um, said that uh, he has been informed by coaches he will not be playing in the opener. He will be a healthy scratch. Um, he wasn't at practice on Saturday, but that was due to illness, and he's not ill now. Um, so guy goes from, uh, you know, a good quality player last year, got a nice little uh, contract in free agency to coming out of camp. He's basically lost his, his starting job for sure. And in this game, he's not playing at all. And that might be a sort of a schematic thing or matchup based thing. But we, you know, we don't know going in, in you know, until we two basically. Um, but let's let's start with some sound from Isaiah Bugs, and then we'll I'll catch your um, your thoughts on it on the back end. Um, I, I actually think I had pretty good training camp. You know, I mean, like I said, I don't know. So you know, what I'm saying I'm just a player. Um, they the coaches and, and whatever they have for me, that's what it's going to be. Playing an important role last year, leading this year, you, you know what I'm saying? You think you're going to be that guy. You, um, you're thinking they're all in with you, and then, you know, boom, you snap a finger, it's like that. So, like I said, I've always been a team player. I've always been a role player, whatever they have for me. Um, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, Ben, you were at his locker uh, when he was talking with the media. Um, what do you make of, of this situation? You know, it's, it's a guy that, just seems pretty unhappy with his updated role. And he was trying to hold back and he was trying to say, there's nothing to address, nothing to address. He, he did say that he, he didn't, he addressed the tweets without addressing the tweets saying sometimes st- stuff happens in life, stuff happens in football, nothing to address there. But like the way I took it is the Benito Jones rise was real. The Levi rise was real. And like, I do think it was a schematic thing for this first week, because I mean, when, when he was asked, like, if this can, if this sits well with you, he's just like, I came in here thinking they're all in on me. Boom, the snap of the finger, it's like this. You know, he, he said it like five different times. I'm a team player. I'm a role player. I'll do whatever they tell me to do and keep working hard. And, I mean, he's been through this before. His time in Pittsburgh was hot and cold as a starter in the lineup, not in the lineup. But, like, obviously getting that contract with some of the guys saying they rallied around him late last year kind of made him feel like he was a no-doubt member of the defensive line is what I felt with. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, like you said, he's, he just turned 27 years old. They go into a season, a lot of emotions at play, but like, yeah, it, to me, it's a guy that's pretty pissed off that he's not going to be out there week one. Being pissed off is good. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if going on Twitter and, you know, subtweeting the world, um, <laughs> like, you know, you're 13 years old and had your heart broken for the first time is necessarily the best look. I, I think there's some level of immaturity here by Isaiah Bugs, and maybe I'm being a little hard on a guy, but this is the NFL, man. Like there are no, there are no disillusions. I, I mean, it best player plays in last year. That was Isaiah Bugs for large stretches and in camp. Was it? I don't think that it was, you know, and I mean, it was close. I, and I'm, not, I'm no expert on interior defensive line play, to be honest with you. But you could tell Benito Jones was playing really well. And Benito Jones was rising up the depth chart. And you could see Isaiah Bugs logging huge snap numbers uh, in the in the preseason finale, playing late into that game. That's never a good sign. That usually means you're closer to the bubble than you are a starting assignment. So he shouldn't be surprised by 
by this based on the way he was used in the preseason, based on the their usage uh, in training camp, and just based on the play of Benito Jones, who I expect at this point probably he's probably going to start alongside Ali McNeil um, on the interior of the defensive line. You've got oh, Levi Anzurike, former second round pick, who Ben like yeah, yeah. If, if you're grading most improved players from the like, day one of training camp to the final day of training camp. Levi Anzarike is in that conversation. I mean, he was disruptive down the stretch. And, you know, at, at the beginning of camp, you were patting the guy on the back just for being in pads. Yeah. <laughs> and by the exactly. end, yeah. he was he was blowing um he's blowing stuff up. Um, and so you know, he's your interior pass rush element, I would say, um, to open the season. And then you've also got Roderick Martin, the third round pick, uh, in there in that conversation as well. I mean, they just have so much beef, they have so much competition. They like this is a, a team with title aspirations a team that its head coach has been talking for a week or two about cuts are going to be really hard we're going to have really good players on our bench so Isaiah Bugs I'm sorry like yeah you made some nice plays last year but he's not untouchable and and he needs I think he needs to show more maturity in this situation maybe stay off Twitter (laughs) um uh, and and he talks about being a team player but I don't know how much of you know it's putting the team first to go on Twitter and air out your dirty laundry no, and I, that's I don't think you're being too hard on mine. I think that's completely fair because every time I opened subtext, it was a question about Isaiah Bugs over the weekend, and I was like, "What is going on?" So yeah, not the way to handle it. And I mean, just some mixed messages in what he said today too. Just kind of they were straightforward with me, blah blah blah, and then it's a complete surprise. But yeah, I think there was just a little surprise, pissed off, mixed with um, immaturity there for sure too. But we'll see how he handles it moving forward because this was a guy that young guys leaned on last year, so it's a little. That's the most shocking aspect of this to me. Let's get to a fun one, or a fun one at least according to me. <laughs> um, Kim, Kim Mann, who is extremely active on our insider text, always I love hearing from him. He asks, um, the atmosphere around this team has been amazing, and I know you're supposed to be objective and not favor a team, but it's got to be a lot more fun to cover the lines now than during previous regimes, right? You alluded to the animosity and disrespect that prior regimes had for the press um, Kim also went on to say some very nice things about us that I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> but that, I guess, just to his point, uh, this team, it, is it more fun for you to cover, even if you're not sitting there root, uh, you know, rooting for the Lions? Is it more, do you, you find this regime more refreshing or more fun to cover? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, we've been pretty open and honest about that since, like, day three of the Dan Campbell regime. Uh, it, it is. I mean, there's, there's not an automatic animosity. There's not these stupid little childish games being played with us, you know, we're there to do our job and that's how they view it. I mean, stuff's going to happen individually, but yeah, it's, it's a lot more fun when you guys are reading everything we work hard on and put out there. It's a lot more fun when we're getting, we're getting pushed to do two podcasts a week because you guys are eating this stuff up so much. Yeah. That's a lot more fun to like know that. Yeah. (laughs) Just across the board, the job is easier. The job's more enjoyable and more fulfilling and just like, like I'm not doing this for anybody. It's for you guys. And to hear the kind of feedback that we've been getting back, it's like, all right, let's go. Let's get this season going. This is this is what I signed up for. Well, you can definitely feel the excitement for this season, which I certainly prefer to despair. Oh, God, <laughs> which so... is all I've known since uh, covering the team in 2013. <laughs> and there's brief moments of hope. But even then, it was like everything's got to go right this season before our cap situation blows up. I mean, it just feels so different now. And that's kind of the vantage point I take on this, but not so much from a fan point of view, but just like this yeah. team, it, it could win the North this year. I, 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 
spoiler alert, I picked them to win the North. Um, spoiler alert, I picked them to win 12 games, which would be a team record. <laughs> like, I just think it, it's like they're that deep and um, the North is that wide open. But even like, let's say there's an injury or things don't go entirely your way or Green Bay, like Jordan Love is the next Aaron Rodgers, who is the next Brett Favre. Like, you know, just say something unforeseen like that happens. Like you're still built for it next year. You're still built for for the season after that. You've got so many young players who are coming of age. You've got so many veterans on reasonable contracts. And even the couple of guys you've sprinkled in where you spent big on Cam Sutton or CJ Garner Johnson, like you're those are good contracts. And and in Garner Johnson's case, it's a one-year contract. Like there, there's this team is built for sustained success. Like there's nothing but blue skies in front of this team. Um, you know, in the short to like to, to long-term at this point. And yeah. like, that's compelling as a beat writer is to, to, to see smart people doing smart things and setting up, you know, compelling football for years to come. And as someone who has not covered a team, like, like, they, like Ben, they were in last place every single day after Thanksgiving for like four straight years. I mean, that just get, it gets taxing. So as a reporter, like it's nice talking to players who are happy because they're winning. It's nice to talk to guys who are more open with you because there's good things to talk about rather than, uh, you know, Hey, Glover Quinn, you guys sucked again. Tell us about it. Like, which is what like four years of my existence on this beat was like. So, you know, I'm not a Lions fan, but like when you're dealing with people that you respect, when you're dealing with people who are happy and want to share their lives with you or talk to you about why things are going well. Um, these are good things and they, they, they improve my quality of life. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Cause those four years you speak of were my first four years on this job. So trust me, it's just uh, getting to see this side of the football world is uh, yeah. absolutely more enjoyable. Plus we get to talk to Dan Campbell four times a week or whatever. And the, the man is everything you hear about and more. Um, and you see him on the record. I mean, fans can see him on the record you know, at podiums and stuff and how engaging he is. And I think just authentic and, respectful of the process of people trying to make a living around this game. Um, and that's all, all appreciated, especially against the backdrop of the last guy we had to cover, which wasn't always there, um, <laughs> the respect stuff. And so, yeah, it's, that's all refreshing, but then away from the mics too, I have a lot of respect for that guy with the way he does business. And I actually been like one thing that for me showed what he's all about. He was trying to get to a joint practice, which are just incredible, um, cluster uh you know what <laughs> and he gets done with his podium session and like every other coach ever is going to be running to the practice field and that's totally understandable and instead of him running to the practice field he hung out in the press room because his media relations team uh, led by Eamon Reynolds um was getting an award for being the best PR team in the league and it's like there's like I don't know how many coaches do that, like, but that just shows where it's hard is like those guys have nothing to do with the football operations of the team. They have very, I mean, they have nothing to do with the joint practices and everything else that, that Dan Campbell's responsible for, but he took three minutes out of his day to stand there to watch his PR team get a, like, you know, nominated for the best PR team and give them a hand and support them. And then he went, ran off to practice. And that for me just shows maybe people just, just a little bit about what Dan Campbell's about. It's not just, you know, crushing football. It's, you know, really the, the humans behind the game as well. And that kind of attitude really filters down to the way he treats players, which is why they love him. It tri trickles down to us, which you know, again, makes our time on the beat much more, you know, enjoyable. 
Yeah. No, it's a human being treating human beings like human beings. I mean, I mean, he's genuine. Every laugh I've given that guy has been genuine and earned, but yeah, it's just, uh, the way I a hundred percent agree. He's, he's genuine through and through, and it's just, that sits well across the board. So Cam Jones wants to know, is there a receiver that could step up and make it difficult for Jamison Williams to get time on the field in six weeks? Um, Cam, I don't know if there's like a particular guy, like, like not really probably, but it's, there is a collection of really good talent and veteran talent in Detroit. And it kind of reminds me of late last year when like Jamal starts practicing around Thanksgiving or right after that or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he, I mean, the guy runs faster than ever I've ever seen a human run before, but there's so much more that goes into playing that position and running fast. Like you and I have been talking about on this podcast for, you know, since basically the selection of Jameson Williams. Yeah. And, um, you know, like they were like as, as much of an outsider as they were in the playoff hunt last year, they were still in that playoff hunt and they were winning games and they were trying to make it in. So when you're in that kind of race, you don't really have snaps to just throw it at a developmental player and say, go figure it out. And so JMO, like when he came back, they found their spots to involve him, but he wasn't a featured component in the passing game. He was basically used like a gadget guy, I would say. And they had special packages for him to get him some experience, but like he wasn't featured in the passing attack. We never saw that. Um, and this could be totally different this year when he comes back. Cause he's had a whole off season of practice with the team. Um, and it's only going to be week seven rather than, you know, whatever it was when he got back last year. Um, so he'll be more involved for sure. Um, and it's in their best interest to get him involved and try to get him comfortable. But if JMO struggles with some of the things that we've struggled, you know, we've seen him struggle with the drops and route definition and just reliability, trust with the quarterback that he's going to be where he's supposed to be. If that's still the case, Ben, I could see him being a guy who is a rotational guy. Like maybe he starts some games, but like being involved in a rotation with a guy like Khalif Raymond, Josh Reynolds. I mean, these guys are really trusted. They might not be have Jamo's speed, but Jared Goff knows where they're going to be. Jared Goff loves throwing the ball at Khalif Raymond because he knows exactly yeah. where Khalif Raymond is going to be. And 40 minutes after practice, where Khalif Raymond is going to be is catching more balls <laughs> off the jugs. As much as we talk about Avon Ross St. Brown catching balls off the jugs, like Khalif Raymond does it longer every yeah. day. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, Jamo has some catch up to do and he's unbelievably talented. And maybe he comes back and took the world on fire. I think all, all of Lions Nation is hoping for that. But if his problems aren't magically solved, they're going to work him in slowly because they do have, you know, those guys don't have his talent, but they do have guys like Raymond and like Reynolds, uh, Marvin Jones. Uh, and they even have a tight end in Sam Laporta uh, who's catching balls. And we already talked about Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. I mean, they have other ways they can go in the passing game until Jamo starts figuring his stuff out. No, it's very easy for me to picture Jamison Williams finishing the season and in a more increased role than last year. But like, it wouldn't shock me to see him limited to 15 to 25 offensive snaps. I mean, as a specialist player, I will say the one thing that does give me optimism about his season is the fact that he gets to rejoin the team after three weeks. He gets to be there at practice. He gets to be around the team. He gets to feel like he's actually a part of it. Now he can't play until that game in Baltimore. I believe it is on the road, but like he's going to be involved. And it's just like, it's, it's, so the excuses are running out. The time is running out. The first year and a half of his rookie contract has been completely lit on fire, but just I, there's, I, I do, I do agree with you. I do think it might surprise some people, even, 
even if he's back full speed, hamstrings clear for months now, he he might be a rotational specialist type guy. He'll have a meteor role than last year, but it might he might be wondering why it's Reynolds, Jones, and St. Brown with a mix of Raymond out there instead of him at times. And it's not going to surprise us. So just kind of prepare yourself for that for sure. But uh, his burners, you can't teach that. And uh, all the work he can get with Goff and all the work he can get on the jugs machine, he should be taking full advantage of because my red flag with him are those the hands that I saw over the past month. Get those hands right. Get your hands right. Like, like that's what he needs to be working on. Getting a little short on time here, Ben. So let's let's wrap up with um, Bruce Walker, who asks, um, "What do you think the ceiling is for this Lions offense and defense? Um, do you th- have a handle on your expectations for defensive rankings at this point? Um, I can only imagine it'll be higher than what you placed in June. Um, your thoughts on on the you know your, your projection for the offense and defense basically this year? Yeah, I think this they've got everything, even without JMO." to be a top five offense running and passing once again. I mean, the pieces are there, that offensive line. And even if Jared Goff's not the historically clean quarterback, he was to end last year, this, this offense better be at least in the top 10, if not the top five. And as for the defense, we kind of touched on that last week, but I think, then get to that 16th to like 20th zone overall. That's a big time improvement. That's cutting it in half. I mean, maybe it's a little higher than that, but I do kind of want to, cool expectations like this defense then get to the middle of the pack in the league that's kind of my ceiling I think like 14 15 16 that's a big jump though that's not me sleeping on that defense that's a big jump with a lot of changes but just uh yeah I think that that's that's about my ceiling right there not an elite group but a group that should create more takeaways and a group that should be better overall yeah I, I agree with you on the, on the with the defense Ben um that's kind of where my expectation is for them too and listen i think that's where their expectation is as well like i think they look at it like we were a top five offense last year and went nine and eight and there's a reason for that which was we had the worst defense in the league so if they can just tread water on that side of the ball if they can show some competence competency on that side of the ball and pair that with really good offense they're gonna be tough to beat particularly in a division this wide open i mean it's not difficult i, I don't think to see their path forward out of this division and you know, I like I think that we were both really bullish on what we've seen from the the improvement in the defense, which we've talked about quite a bit, including on this this uh, episode here. So we don't have to go, you know belabor it too much. But um, you know, the the takeaways I think are going to go way up with some of the handsiness you have in a CJ Garner Johnson, a Brian Branch. Like that's going to help a lot. I think you're going to have better linebacker depth, better depth in the perimeter, particularly once once Emmanuel Mosley is back. Um, and then you have all your bullets in the pass rush. And I don't think it's an elite pass rush, but I think with Aiden Hutchinson, who's maybe borderline elite, and then a, ro- a lot of good players around him to maybe, I don't know, disperse some of the the double teams that he saw last year, which I think was like second or third most in the league or most often, that would go a long way toward uh, achieving better consistency in the pass rush, which of course makes everyone else's job easier i think that's the roadmap ben and i think it's attainable i don't think expecting top five top 10 stuff is necessarily reasonable from a a defense that was 32nd last year but expecting let's say competency (laughs) (laughs) on that side of the ball is totally fair at this point in year three of this system and with way better personnel at every level offense was top five last year i think I wouldn't be surprised to see some regression without JMO. I do really question, Ben, where the deep ball is going to come from. Um, this year, they don't really have a traditional downfield target, I would say. Khalif Raymond can do that a little bit, but he's like five foot ten or something. He's, it's a pretty small target to be throwing at. 
uh, 50 yards downfield. Um, you know, Marvin Jones is the oldest receiver in the league. Josh Reynolds uh, has a little bit of big playness to him, but like, yeah. I, I just don't think that's his forte. Um, so I think that's going to be the the thing that holds them back, at least until JMO is back and, and fully operational. But it's, I'm not dogging them. Like, it's going to be a really good offense. Um, and they were good last year. That I think all the offense, offensive linemen out there is really going to help too, Ben. The question I have about the offense, if I may, and maybe we can wrap up here, is it'll be really interesting to see how this offense evolves in year two under Ben Johnson because I think it's so easy just to say, oh, first-year coordinator, top-five offense, everyone like improved. Jerry Goff had a career year, and I, I think there's a lot to be said about Goff's comeback being tied to the brain of Ben Johnson. I'm not taking anything away. But this league, I mean, these coaches have no lives. <laughs> they sleep in their offices, pounding, just crushing film. And it's all out there. So the league is trying to catch up with Ben Johnson, what he does. And I'm curious to see what the Vega tricks looks like this year. How much has it changed? What, what does he have up his sleeve? Because if he just is a one-trick pony that did last year, that has what he did last year, and that's it, um, that's how the league catches up to you in this regression. So I'm, I'm really, I really am curious to see what sort of evolutions we see this year from the offense under, you know, in the second year of Ben Johnson. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, just based on what we've seen and just like Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta, guys like that add pages, you think they would add pages to a guy's playbook like that. I mean, it's just so when you can move pieces like that all over the field, it's just, uh, yeah. And then one thing that we haven't, I'm so excited to see how he continues to use Panay Sewell. Like what's new for this guy? Like how, <laughs> how more can you utilize this 23 year old absolute freak of nature who I think is going to like put his name with like the league's best players with much sooner than later. Like that, like these, the, we talk about the skill position guys like Ben Johnson, his running a game and how he gets those offensive linemen in space. Like I cannot as an offensive, former offensive line guy, I cannot wait to see how he gets those guys moving and what new wrinkles he's got in that offense, because there's pieces to play with across 